Hello and welcome to the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today's episode is part of the SLP Spotlight series where I talk with SLPs in a variety of SLP positions and settings, doing things that we knew SLPs did, but also working in areas that we've never thought or heard of SLPs working in. It is amazing the opportunities these SLPs have taken and where their careers have gone. This is storytelling time. Maggie, you and I have picked up because our first interview just went along really well. So (laughs) much to talk about. And I love these as much as I hope you guests do. It is so fun talking about the things that a speech language pathologist can do um, in his or her career. So thank you for coming back on for round two. You're very welcome. I'm happy to be here again. We're going to focus a little bit differently in this episode and talk a little bit more about how rewarding your career has been, how challenging it has been. So first question off the bat, and this is one I get a lot from students. What do you wish you had done differently in your career? Sure. So each path sometimes is the path that you're on. um, And those paths that you take lead you to situations that, um, you didn't think were possible. So I've had an opportunity to kind of reflect on that and see that I I do, I'm very, very happy with where I am currently. Um, I've had a wonderful opportunities and I'm, I'm happy where I'm going in relation to speech pathology. The one thing that I do find that would be, and I would probably even recommend some people do is, is I think I've mentioned it actually even the first section is you might need to go and find the setting that you want to be in the specialty sensor that you want to be in outside of your comfort zone. So if that even be moving to the next city, even if that be moving to a different state or across the country or so forth to give yourself the opportunity to grow from working with different people, but also continue down the path that you would like to go on into that specialty. Or even if you're there and you're finding, whoa, like I actually don't want to do this. um, At least you figured it out. At least you had the opportunity to get that exposure, to get that knowledge uh, in in relation to that. I kind of settled when I was out of my CFY to go into um, a skilled nursing facility just due to the advice that I was given. Um, and looking back on it, I, I feel as though that if I had the opportunity and did kind of trust my gut at that time, I maybe would have had the opportunity to get a more of a distinct medical placement if I wanted to, but I needed to, I took the path that I did to get to where I am today. Um, and the drive that I have in order to to have gotten to the place where I was. I, when I, uh, finished my CFY, I'll tell you a little bit about how I got into the medical setting. I left my CFY in a skilled nursing facility and then I moved down and worked in pediatrics. That was a mistake. Yeah. Big difference. That was a mistake. Went into pediatrics, did not find that to be strong in relation to working in a, um, school system. I learned a lot from that experience as well, too. 
Number one, didn't want to do that. Number two, needed to find a new job. So, <laughs> so switched from skilled nursing to a, and a school setting? To a school setting, yeah. To a well, special I think school in pediatric outpatient clinic, that's a really big shift to the school setting. To the school setting. Yeah. That, yeah, that was a huge shift. I was like, oh, I can probably, you know, I'll see how this is. Well, I learned very quickly that that was not part of who yeah, I that am. Would be, that wouldn't be my gem. Yeah, that's okay. So that's hey, you me. know what? I took, I took the leap in oh. order to find that out. Right. I learned a lot of information. I was working for a um, private practice actually as an independent contractor so that was a very interesting growing experience about billing, about doing sort of certain things. From there, I was darn well determined then to apply PRN in order to get into a hospital. Mm-hmm. From that standpoint, I was then married and we moved back. And I had to really explain in an interview that I have the drive I have the letters of recommendation that indicate that I might not actually have the foundational work that you need for this position, but I have taken CEU courses. These are the CEU courses I'm going to be taking in order to even get more knowledge base in a hospital. I got a hospital setting and so forth, which then connected me to an LTAC to work with Carrie Stant. And it's been all the way through medical after that. So I had to position myself. I had to do a little bit of work. I had to really try to heart, like sharpen my interviewing skills, not to lead them in the wrong path, but to let them know that I do want to pursue this position. Looking back on it, just go to the medical setting if you want to go. You may have to move if you have the opportunity to do so. I am... Pausing because I'm looking back at my podcast master list and I know I'm trying to remember her name, but there's an episode and the word interview is in the title. I interviewed her on interviewing other speech pathologists and she said the very first thing she looks at as a resume at a resume is the continuing ed courses that a speech pathologist takes because that's where the metal meets the road um, or the pedal meets the road. I'm not, yeah. Anyways, that's where she can tell how serious this speech pathologist is about her knowledge and her skill set. Is she taking the time to focus her courses? Is she taking her time to really do due diligence to get ready and be prepared for this position? So interesting you say that. Yeah, no, but, and that's, and that's a true, that's a true fact. Now, do I keep necessarily a running list anymore now? No. But luckily, I pay for the ASHA mm-hmm. um, CEU thing. So I can just print that out, mm-hmm. which is good. But yeah. it's always too also as well, like especially for students too that are listening um, or even speech language pathologists to look into what a criterion vita is and try to keep that up to date. Because if you get into a situation where you want to do that later, um, and try to make one, it is a lot more difficult. But if you keep that kind of up to date and include your coursework, even if it be on like a, um, a Google Drive or um, Airtable or something along those lines, if you keep that documentation, just when you took it, a little bit of a description that you can pull off of the website or either retype from the like mailer that you get, that's going to help you later on. That's also something too I'd probably recommend myself to do is just keep a running list of the experiences, a short list of the people that you enjoyed, (laughs) 
maybe four or five things that you've learned and then the CEU courses that you've taken and kind of constantly update that. Once a month, take a look back. First of the month when you have a credit card bill. What is a criterion, Vita? Okay, so that is a very expanded resume. Mm -hmm. And it kind of goes into a little bit more in detail about what you're doing. So typically a normal resume, what is it? I guess like anymore nowadays, it's anywhere from like two to three pages, Mm -hmm. possibly maybe just two front and back. Yeah, my bit is long. Uh And then a criterion beta is very long. So this, this kind of breaks down very distinctly in more detail. You know, what did you really do in the, um, when you were working for such and such a hospital, you know, give me even more details outside of just that simple, even sentence. Tell me more about what happened. Tell me more about your leadership skills, Mm -hmm. you know, looking beyond just the day-to-day work, you know, how are you specifically a leader? I've had an opportunity to go through a recent review and um, one of the compliments that I got in a yearly review for one of the hospitals that I PRN at was, is that I'm known to kind of bring up like, oh, hey, did you happen to take a look at this research article or, hey, how have you, you know, been affected? How has OT or PT been affected by changes in billing or what are some new things that you're looking into to pursue you know, specialty certifications. That's kind of a little bit about how I do my leadership is, is that I, I don't know if I corner people, um, but I ask them, you know, how, what's, you know, what are you doing? Like, how are you continuing to expand? You know, did you take an interesting CEU course? What's something that you learned or how, how can I help this patient when I'm going in there helping them with cognition? Or how can I reposition this patient a little bit more efficiently if I'm having them sit at a particular table or in a wheelchair or transferring them safely? Those kinds of things. It's kind of so that criterion vita kind of looks into a lot more of that information as well. You know, what what education have you done? Have you did you present something even at school? Did you do that for assignment or did you kind of do that on your own? When you were at a clinical placement, did you present a presentation to the nursing staff to the, or to even like a intervention specialist or something or so forth within the school set? You know, where, what did you do that really kind of sets you apart? That's where you can kind of go into more detail about. Good advice. Thanks. What was most, one of the most challenging patients you remember? Sure. So I find that it's kind of interesting that, um, I I find that situations are more so challenging than per se, like an individual person. Um, I find that sometimes conceptualizing things can sometimes be difficult. Um, Conceptualizing maybe that the patient is silently aspirating or, you know, that throat clear is actually a, um, is actually kind of causing their, swallowing problems and so forth, or even cognition kinds of things. Like I, you know, it's just age related, you know, those kinds of things that you can't tangibly see, you know, you can see a weakened arm, right. Or, um, you can see, you know, um, an amputated like leg, like you can conceptualize kind of those things. But I find sometimes in speech pathology, it's, it's the situations that the patients have a hard time conceptualizing what I'm doing or mm-hmm. conceptualizing the things that they want to do and so forth. It's, it's a little bit more of the untangible things at times that can sometimes be a limitation. 
So, you know, working through those. I've had some challenging patients come to my video fluoroscopy swallowing suite. And I think what makes it challenging yet very rewarding patients are those who are so medically complex. And then to be able to not simplify, but um, help them see through the fog what's going on and then answering the questions that they had when they first arrived Mm -hmm. and helping them make those decisions. Even when you're recommending NPO status for the rest of their lives, possibly, you know what I mean? Um, I've worked with some of those where they're just so incredibly challenging, but when you are able to understand and explain and help them know and learn how to make their decisions moving forward has been very rewarding. Yeah. That really helping the patient just in general has been probably, Mm um, always a rewarding experience. Um, getting them to, yeah, to help make decisions for themselves, um, to better understand what's happening, um, with them. Uh, and then also seeing too, how they have developed skills or compensated for, or, you know, starting out in one way and then transitioning to something else, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, visual aids and so forth with cognition and, um, processing things and so forth, you know, it's, it's a lot of aids needed. And then you're able to kind of phase that out to where then it just becomes that systematic or, or the every once in a while, or, um, transitioning from utilizing, you know, the chin tuck, those kinds of things to then not needing that at all, mm-hmm. you know, making those gains. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with a patient, um, who has a, a degenerative disease? and is not going to be making those gains. Any words of wisdom there? Sure. So in in relation to that, you know, gains, when it comes to those kinds of situations, you can still compensate certain gains based off of what the patient wants to see. Now, if it's 100%, this is going to be 100% normal kinds of things. Again, it's walking them through that ideology that let's make let's make some benchmark goals, let's project to another kind of benchmark goal, and then so forth. And kind of once again, utilizing even what you said too, kind of that education aspect, understanding more about what they're looking for, or where they want to potentially progress, but also to having them self reflect, you know, this is where I am, and this is what I am doing, and so forth. Um, I've had other kinds of situations too, where, um, I've, I've kind of walked them through or assisted them with, um, you know, making some gains to the point where it's, it's good for now in relation it's, it's, they're satisfied with where, where they are. And then also educating them too, that they may, they will need to, if they want to either maintain or as this transitions, you'll need to come back. Let's give you some things that if, if you're passionate to do so, you've there's um, that uh, that structure in relation to their everyday um, pro- everyday att- like approach to what's going on with them. Then let's see what we can kind of maintain, and then 
come back later. Go see maybe another specialist. Maybe you need to kind of transition to this versus this kind of a situation. That's what I've kind of seen, I guess, before with um, patients that I've worked with. And redefining success, redefining some of those goals. Yeah. Making those how, how about a memorable patient? Can you share with us a story of a memorable patient or a setting? <laughs> ah, that's always like a really fun topic. Um, remember how I was indicating that I kind of bless and release like work yes. a lot of the times when I bless and release work, I also, it kind of like out the door it goes. So I can't remember per se, like a particular patient, but it's, it's the rewarding part of um, them letting me know that I was thorough enough to the point where they understand what's happening yes. or I have, or they're thankful for the uh, community, um, community support that's out there. You know, I, I live in Sarasota, Florida, and one of the wonderful things that Sarasota has is, is an aphasia community center. You know, it's a wonderful um, center to which provides education, some uh, classes and so forth to really um, uh, inspire and continue to support individuals with aphasia. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people actually don't know about it. So my ability to just even tell them at work, hey, did you happen to know about this organization? Wow, I didn't, you know, the response of being like, no, I didn't even know Sarasota had that. Great. Now, is that 100% therapeutic? Not really. But it allows them to actually realize what else is out there in the community because their hospital stay, their skill stay, or even their outpatient stay is not forever. So what else is out there that can really assist? That That's the joy. That's the impactful thing that I take with me every day that I, that I made an impact, that they're telling me like, thank you for being thorough. Like, oh, Once again, it might be that eccentric part of me, but it's, it's just, it's just, May we there. all be a little more eccentric. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's just there in relation. That's the satisfaction. That's the memorable thing that I take with me. That's when I'm driving home from my day and my husband will say, how, how did everything go for you today? I'm like, Oh, great. You know, and I try to, I mean, my, my days are not great one after another because reality is it's work. It's, a, it's challenging. It's exhausting. It's, you know, I just get, I pour myself when I go to work into my work and I look for one really super bright moment every day that I work um, I work, I say that because I work clinics on Fridays and I teach Monday through Thursday, but it's like, yes, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And there's, and you're right. There's not one that stands out. There's a multitude that stand out like, well, with the pediatric feeding, when I had a 12 month old come ages ago and the mother had only given the baby a bottle. And hadn't transitioned and, and, and that bottle was only propped up. And so I was able to teach, here's how you, you know, feed and care and bond and enjoy, or the older couple who here's how you, you know, help your father who's dying take their last little bit of things by mouth, not because it's important for their father, but because it's important for them to be able to give 
you know, to their spouse or their parent. And it's those um, memories it's that, that mean the most and are the most rewarding for me. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's definitely, it's hard sometimes to just pick one because sometimes there are so many, but it's that impact. It's that Mm -hmm. impact that, that keeps, that keeps the drive going, that Mm -hmm. keeps that, um, you know, that pull that I have to really provide, to, to connect with these people. Right. And we have the time to do that as speech pathologists. Mm -hmm. I've had head and neck cancer patients come and they're looking for answers and their physician is busy, 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 and, and they haven't found those resources yet. So we sit and we talk and I teach and I explain. And then I, what is your, what are, what's your terminology? Release, bless, bless and release. release yeah. I come from Minnesota where we have um, fish and release. There you go. <laughs> you fish release, and then yeah. you release the fish. <laughs> so that's go. what it reminds me of. Uh, bless and release. I love that. Yeah. So shout out to Teresa Richard for that. What are some words of advice that someone gave you that you didn't follow? Don't do that. Tell us more. Or, um, or we don't do that here even sometimes as well. Um, but definitely the don't do that. Um, I've had, I've had the opportunity once again to be and have developed and will and need to continue to develop, um, listening skills, um, being sure to kind of point out or shape how I continue to educate either patients, um, physicians and, or have discussions with other speech language pathologists in regards to, um, why certain things that I do is what I do or how that maybe it may be challenging at this time to either reach, reach that goal or, um, start a support group, for example, you know, don't do that because you're not going to have enough time for, um, your family or don't do that because it might actually take a lot more of your time or, um, don't do that because, you know, nobody knows, um, you know, why, why would you, why would you want to, you know, perform some sort of technique just in relation, as long as it's obviously like safe. Those are the kinds of things that I try to, you know, absorb. Thank you for sharing that with me, or thank you so much for your feedback. And this is the reason why I provide that high quality care. This is the reason why I advocate for my patients. Um, This is why I try to take as many CEUs as I can that really apply to the patient setting that I'm working with. Or if, for example, I'm not the best suited person to see, to see that patient, you bet I'm going to do the best that I can to find, to find that person for them. I'm not great for everyone. My approach is not received by everybody. And luckily, there are other speech language pathologists out there that will always know more than I do and are better suited for other individuals. You know, that's, that's why when people tell me, like, don't do that, it's, it's more along the lines of, of, you know, why? Like, I don't ask the question. I, I just kind of, like, receive that and try to process sometimes, like, 
that's interesting. You know, let me go through my wheel circle in my head and try to figure out what's happening or that initiation of why. Cause I know that my five-year-old and my two-year-old, two blonde haired, blue eyed little girls constantly ask me that. So maybe I do what? ask people why a lot and I just don't know. <laughs> I have a husband who asks me why a lot. He's, yeah. an engineer, he's left brain. Why, why, why? <laughs> right. So I had to pull up a quote when I, and I love what you said. When I decided to step out and be brave and start Fresh SLP, I had people who said, don't do it for all of these reasons. And I was at a point in my journey where I'm like, well, this is what I would like to do. And it's impossible, said pride. It's risky, said experience. It's pointless, said reason. Give it a try, whispered the heart. So if I understand you correctly, you're saying follow your heart and don't always take when a point value when someone says, don't do it. Decide for yourself if you're going to do it or not. I mean, and obviously too, you know, reach out, you, you know, it, it, in, in expanding upon that too, is there are some things that people are like, don't do that. And I'm like, okay, like that's right. totally fine. You know, it's not, it, 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 it's like, it is a level of following your heart and kind of what you want to do, but it's also to doing that in reason, you know, do you have, do you have somebody that you can actually talk to? to say, Hey, I'm going to hash this out with you real quick. Like, let me just like, go ahead and do this. I have a really good, I, like I told you, I was on, I've been two weeks off of vacation here, which is wonderful. And I had a girlfriend from graduate school drive up here. Her and I are on the phone sometimes about people, situations, so forth. Like, Ooh, like, would you actually do that too? Those kinds of things, having a network. And as you continue to grow in your career, you know, you're, you're, cohort in relation to your graduate level program people um will be your buds yep everybody me maybe for sure at least one or two and then when you get into your cf and when and as you continue to grow you're going to have your people that you can come back to and kind of ask those questions and those people too are also there to help you realize like you know is that like a don't do that because I, like I'm going to harm somebody or is this a don't do that because they're like, well, that might not be like the safest road. So those are the kinds of things too, that you can kind of hash out with your core, with your core people. And then there's also the realm too, that it's like, well, I appreciate even your cohort telling me like, don't do that. But it's like, well, I'm going to go ahead and kind of still, you know, make an educated decision in order to just go the, yeah, I'm going to do it anyways. So, you know, there's, there's avenues there. It's not quite that black and white, like, yes, like follow your heart. It's like, well, make sure that you're informed when right. you make that decision. Make, make sure you feel good about what you're going to do and accept the risk from continuing to do what you are doing. And then be accountable when things don't always go the way you expect them to go. hundred percent. And yeah. learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once again, as long as you're not putting anybody's life or other people's lives or things in danger and so forth when you're doing that, there you go. There's always that caveat, like, be careful, bud. <laughs> but this is one of my favorite questions next. If you could go back and talk to your clinical fellow self, what words of advice would you give her? I love this question. <laughs> These are always the questions I'm like, oh, okay, how do I, okay. So um, I have been fortunate enough to be given 
opportunities that many won't. I would probably tell myself to acknowledge once again that you have been given fortunate opportunities. Thank myself for the drive that I've had from the beginning to go above and beyond to make sure that I'm understanding what's happening or if the answer isn't quite there to use the network that I either created myself or at least take the CEU course to find the answer. Um, I would also tell myself to be a little less hard on yourself Mm -hmm. that you don't know the answer but really come back to that idea that you're, 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 you're looking for it. You're taking the CEU course. You're asking the questions. Um, I harped on this, I believe, um, in the previous um, podcast too, is that I had to move, to take the leap. Um, I had the opportunity to go to Nova Southeastern uh, for my graduate level program uh, I went to Bowling Green instead and had a fantastic experience there. I had really strong professors. I had, like I indicated before, fantastic um, externship work and have made wonderful connections. But at the same time, too, I was afraid to go to Nova because it was new. It was different. It was away from my family. Um but what NOVA has to offer too, and things like that, or even meeting speech language pathologists that went to NOVA to either get their doctorate or even their undergrad, um, it, it's a unique experience down there because of the way that it was set up at the time that I was applying. So I, I think that telling myself that it's okay to be, un, it's okay to be uncomfortable and embrace that. And, and obviously, once again, be careful, you know, you don't want to do anything like too like majorly risk or something along those lines. Or at that time, I didn't have a family, you know, now I do. So things are a little bit different, but I still am fortunate to have a support system that allows me to kind of um, take CEU courses, present at national conventions, jump on here to talk with you. Mm-hmm. And, and I wish, I think I need to have trusted myself a little bit more with the drive that I had mm-hmm. and still do, but thank myself at the same time too, for, for what I've learned for the risks that I did take at that time, you know, switching from a sniff to um, pediatrics, pediatrics, then driving and really trying to get myself into a healthcare setting in that medical SLP realm. Um also to uh, probably as well, kind of tracking some things, you know, kind of doing those criterion Vita things, or I saw one CFY actually like five years after I graduated, I was like, wow, that's like such a good idea. If you don't know something, write it somewhere and then write the definition next to it. So that way you can refer back to it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. That's a fabulous idea. Or possibly even to telling my CFY self, you know, you can um, start a business in relation to speech pathology, even at a young age. Um, oh geez, is it the speech room? Speech room. I think she's a speech language here. Anyways, I believe it's called the speech room. She is a, um, individual who makes materials for schools and things like that. She, um, she was in the, in the graduate level class above me and she started that in graduate school. Wow. 
And she is highly, well, I believe she's highly well known, maybe like in relation to the school setting, but she, she was there. So if you've got an idea, go with it, go with it, you know, see if it works, you know, you know, be careful with that cost ratio kinds of things, but it would be okay to do that. Um, I had an opportunity in my CFY year to actually get paid for a presentation because I guess the presentation was so well received that they wanted to pay me to record it. And then flush it out. What was the presentation? Uh, it was about dysphagia in um, the elderly population, like a just a clinical, you know, yeah. kind of a clinical but easy speech. Yeah. And the way that I presented it, I guess, was so well received that the therapy company wanted to buy it. Wow. Excellent. And I didn't do it. Oh. Yeah. Shocker. Why? I have no idea. To this day, I'm still like, I don't know. I don't know if it was fear or unconcerning or thinking that I was going to do more with it. You know, those kinds of things and stuff, I wish I would have allowed them to do that because I could have made a staple at that time. So uh, what words of advice then do you have for the speech path who suffers from imposter syndrome or has that that fear? <laughs> the reason why I laugh is, is because I suffer from imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, I so I, I have a lot of that, you yeah. know, I have a lot of those things. Um, I'm still, to be honest, Many I'm still working, us. I'm still working through yeah. it to allow yourself to work through that. Um, understanding a little bit more about why you're suffering from that, looking into mentorship for it. You indicated that you assist um, individuals with kind of developing those skills, kind of understanding where they want to go, the vision boards and so forth. You know, invest in yourself mm -hmm. in order to see what you're capable of. Mm -hmm. um, there are books out there about um, self, like self-help things. Um, I know that Brooke Bielman, she uh, recommended in one of her servant leadership courses that she completes, um, The Compound Effect. That's a fantastic book. You know, the, a lot of books along those lines can kind of help you feel confident in yourself, help you continue to shape yourself as a medical professional. But yeah, yes, I, I am an individual who um, is afflicted with <laughs> um, imposter syndrome, and I'm still learning to walk through that as a professional. Many of us are. <laughs> because we hold ourselves to this ridiculously high standard, which is great. High standards are great. And we also need to give ourselves grace and not realize we're not going to be perfect. We're not always going to make, I, I just do things perfectly. And that is the hallmark of a good speech pathologist is somebody who says, I don't know everything I will find out for you. I will learn. I will give you my best. But we don't, I, I suffer from imposter syndrome. And, and that's one of the reasons why I asked that. And I'm a strong clinician. But I think imposter syndrome is taking a mindset and switching it from the negative to the positive and saying, I, I, you know, I don't know everything. But here's what I do know. Here's what I am good at. Yeah. And, and, here, and here is how. Um, I'll compensate for, you know, if it's a pep talk in the mirror, yep. you're doing a great job pausing throughout the day. You know what? I'm studying for this test. This is kind of tough. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm moving through it. I'm going to use once again, I kind of harp upon this. It seems to be kind of like a thing that I'm happy about um, is, is, is networking, mm-hmm. getting connected with speech language pathologists that may be in two different states, but connecting with them, you know, having the opportunity to reach out. Uh, I was tickled recently that I had three or four different people actually email me and like ask me for my advice on stuff. And my first thing that I said was, is I was like, what? Like, thanks so much. But here, I have no idea. However, this is maybe what I've done in the past that kind of worked with me. Hopefully it works for you. Or have you possibly even reached out to such and such a person? Or did you look up this article by chance? Those kinds of things. Or, um, you know, certain situations too. It's like, well, I'm in this interview and they, they, you know, they want, they've, they're asking me these kinds of questions. I'm like, I don't know, but my husband's really good with that. So let me ask him what it is. And he used some sort of like star thing or some, I, once again, I don't even, it's like situation coming back and something else. I'm not quite sure, but there's, there's ways to do it. And sometimes it's your network in order to also help you to move through that imposter syndrome, making sure, okay, maybe I don't feel as confident with this. What can I do to shift that confidence level? Do I need to take an extra course? Do I need to ask somebody? Do I need to reread that article? Um, Also too, in in relation to actually jumping back um, for a recommendation that I also have for um, students in general is, or even people in their CFY or even speech language pathologists is, is there's a program that you can download on your computer in order to save all of your um, research articles that you read and organize them very well. Mm-hmm. I would highly recommend that. Luckily mm-hmm. I had a friend that stopped working and she actually organized mine and I'm trying to remember what. Oh, nice. Um, well, uh, Mendeley. What is it? Mendeley. Mendeley. M-E-N-D-E-L-E-Y. Great. Mendeley. Mendeley. Well, thank you so much for your time. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. Asked you for one episode, we got two. Yay! Thanks so much. Hope you enjoy. <laughs> I hope today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP. Continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the missing link for SLP's podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. Also, please share an episode with a friend. Together, we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You've got this.